0: The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri.
2: Welcome to Passion, a show all about love, sex, relationships. My name is Paris. Dr. Lori is on vacation. She is out for the next two weeks. I'll be filling in for her while she's away. You can expect all the regular guests, all the regular panels. We're going to keep it as is, as is familiar to you guys. Um Tomorrow, we're going to have Trouble Tuesdays as per usual. Amanda Luderman will be in studio with me. She's a licensed psychotherapist who's Specializes in intimacy and sexuality. She'll be here to answer all your questions as well. So we are gonna get to you. But first tonight, we are in for an extremely insightful conversation about the world of adult entertainment from an award-winning, tenure veteran of the industry. Her name is Ase Kira. She's a performer. She's a director. She's an author, a podcaster, a spokesperson. I really thought it was important to have her on because not only is her own story fascinating. And is, you know, she's incredibly well spoken and engaging and intelligent, but she's also extremely well positioned to give us an inside look at an industry that is full of misconceptions. So with her help, we're going to understand it a little better, dispel a few myths, gain a better understanding of the men and women who create adult content. If you want to connect with her, you can do so on Twitter at Asa Akira, on Instagram at Asa whole, or you can. She's a podcaster. You can listen to her podcast, PornHubPodcast.com. Welcome to the show, Asa. Hey, Paris.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: <clears throat> it's gonna be a fun hour. Um, I'm. I promised our listeners an open dialogue. This show um, is non judgmental. The doors are open for a conversation that's insightful, engaging, and we just want to hear stories and share stories. So we're excited to have you with us. Let's do it. So, before we get into it, I wanted all of us to get to know you a little bit better. So, I know you grew up in New York. Your father was a photographer. Your mom worked in non for profit. You went to the United Nations International School in Manhattan. And then you started working as a dominatrix in a sex dungeon and you made living as a stripper. How does that happen? And, you know, I, I asked that question with a bit of trepidation because when speaking to an adult performer, there's a sense that something must have gone terribly wrong for you to choose this path. And I don't know that that's always the case in my research and, you know, speaking with adult entertainment something doesn't necessarily have to go wrong. This is a could be a chosen path. So did something go wrong? Did nothing go wrong? How did this all happen?
0: <laughs> um, well, it felt a lot more gradual to me than, you know, when it, it you make it sound like it's just, it just happened so fast. And I guess it kind of did, but it felt a lot more gradual. Um, and, you know, in my case, I was really lucky. I come from like a really, I guess, kind of like a privileged background. I don't, very normal childhood. Um, I didn't really have anything like traumatic or damaging happening um, in my childhood. So, you know, and that's the question I do get very, very often. Um, People assume that something did go horribly wrong for me to choose the adult entertainment industry or sex work in general. But I don't know, like for me, I just I don't really have an explanation for that. I just grew up really idolizing like sex icons and just like promiscuous people in general and I was really interested in like human sexuality and just my own horniness I guess you could say um and I I don't really know like necessarily where that comes from but I definitely like you know grew up thinking like strippers and sex workers were just like the coolest people on earth
1: (laughs)
2: Did you have exposure to it? Did you? I mean, as a as a young, not even a young adult, a teenager. How did? You, how were you exposed to it?
0: You know, I didn't know anyone, and it's it's interesting because I lived in California for ten years, and it's really hard to meet anyone, especially in LA, that doesn't have some kind of tie to like the adult entertainment industry. Like either they'll have you know a cousin who's the lighting guy on a porn set or whatever but in New York, it's not like that. Um, I didn't know anyone in the porn industry. I didn't know anyone in, you know, adults in general. Um, so it felt like this very far away dream. And like, I think like the way a lot of kids, you know, think about or dream about growing up to be like a veterinarian or an astronaut or whatever, like I grew up thinking like, ooh, one day I would
2: love to be a stripper. Why do you think it's so hard for people to accept that that's an option that people actually choose for themselves?
0: Um, I mean, I don't have a definitive answer. I think a lot of people in general are definitely uncomfortable with female sexuality at all, um, especially when women are in control of their own sexuality. I think it, you know... I think we're still in a place as a society where we're just not quite comfortable with that yet. And, you know, I think I have a lot of that ingrained in myself as well. Just growing up thinking, you know, you hear things like, oh, boys will be boys and boys are horn dogs. And, you know, girls are supposed to always, you know, say no and turn down guys and remain virgins until we get married. And, I think that's so ingrained in our society that it's hard not to like kind of think that way, even as an adult, even as an empowered sexual female in, you know, sex work, I I still catch myself with thoughts here and there like that.
2: That you shouldn't be doing this or that it's not right. Um, I, like I,
0: myself, I, Feel truly comfortable with what I do now as a 34 year old woman. You know, I'm I feel like I've grown into my own. I feel empowered by what I do. Um, I know that my you know natural sexual feelings are natural and completely normal. But I, I do catch myself, you know, thinking like. For example, obviously, you know, I'm pregnant right now and, you know, children are heavy on my mind. So I do catch myself thinking things like, oh, wow, like it would be so much easier to have a boy than a girl because, you know, if he's promiscuous, who cares? If she is, that's a problem, that kind of thing. And and that's I, I don't even logically think that to be true, but I, I think in those like little moments, like it, it's hard to escape that.
2: I think it'll be interesting for a lot of our listeners. We're speaking with Asa Akira. She is an adult entertainment industry veteran, uh, been in the industry for 10 years, and we're getting her take, her experience, and then we're going to get an overview of the industry. And it's really interesting that you just said that because a lot of people might think, oh, she's probably immune to that, or you know, she's been in it for so long that her her thinking has turned. And it's, it's a very common way to think. Now, here's my question. We didn't get into how you actually started in the industry industry. How did it all happen for you?
0: So, my very first job, like you said, um in the adult space was as a dominatrix at a dungeon on 33rd Street in Manhattan. And I was just walking down the street one day and this very shady-looking man um approached me and asked me if I would like to be in the adult entertainment industry and You know, at that point, I was 19 years old and I had been wanting to be in the industry and I had been wanting to be like seen as this sexual person and wanted to go on this like sexual journey. So to me, it felt like this man was like sent to me (laughs) from above, like he's just an angel from the clouds. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. And um, I followed him upstairs to the dungeon that he managed. I started training the next day and I worked the night shift um, for a year at the Nutcracker Suite, which actually does not exist anymore um, because I think a client like almost died there. um, Not Not on your watch,
2: I hope. Not (laughs) on my watch.
0: (laughs) I was long gone by then, but I read about it in the news.
2: Okay, we're speaking with Ase Kira. She is an adult entertainment industry superstar. She's a legend, multiple award winner. She's also a director, an author, a podcaster. We're getting her take uh, on, first, first of all, her experience and how she got into the industry And then we're going to talk, um, about what it really is like. There's a lot of misconception about the men and women in the industry, especially considering there's been no long-term research done on male and female performers. And for some reason we have, they're stigmatized heavily. So we're going to get not to the bottom of it because it's a very, very big, big industry.
1: Your relationship's on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri.
2: Welcome back to the program. Dr. Lori's away for two weeks. I get the pleasure and privilege of sitting in for her. But as I often mention in the beginning of programs, I'm not a doctor. So when she's away, I bring in the experts to shed light on different topics relating to love, sex, and relationships. And tonight we are so lucky because an adult entertainment industry veteran has agreed to spend the hour with us. She is giving us insight into a world that not many know about. Her name is Asa Kira. She is a performer, a director, an author, a podcaster. Asa, what am I missing? What else do you do? You've got so many accolades.
0: Um, I dabbled in candle making for a year.
2: Are you still a candle (laughs) maker?
0: No, I I never want to look at another
2: candle again in my life. Okay, we're actually already getting texts. There's somebody who says, your guest is the coolest. You go, girl, break the stigma. Our sexuality is nothing to be ashamed of. If you want to text us, it's 514-800. We actually have another question. You probably won't know the answer, but to whoever texted this, I'm going to, on on Wednesday night, we're going to have our BDSM panel, and I'm going to find out if there are dungeons in Montreal. So this uh, texter says, I want to be a dominatrix because i want and long for control i'm so tired of men following me home knocking at my door and expecting me to do sexual favors when they don't care about my pleasure and will not let me act out my fantasies um asa what is to somebody who wants to experience that is that the experience of a dominatrix um
0: i will say it was a complete power trip um what you know honestly when I, when I did it, I was 19 years old. I was so young that I hadn't even identified myself as dominant, submissive, like, you know, bisexual, straight, who knows? Um, I was still very much like exploring and finding myself. Um, so I, I didn't really know anything about, you know, my own sexuality or the BDSM world. And I found out, so much I learned so much I kind of consider that to be almost like my alternative like college education <laughs> so I think it really opened up my eyes and my mind I'm personally not I found out you know there and also later and you know also just from being in porn you know I, I actually don't really identify as a dominant so much um But it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And it was a total power trip. And even to this day, like, you know, when it comes to playing a dominant role, that's a lot of fun for me, um, because it's so out of my, you know, comfort zone. Um, I do enjoy like pegging and, you know, like all those things. So it's, it's always very exciting and and definitely a power trip. Anytime you get to put on a strap on, that's a power trip.
2: (laughs) It's an interesting experience. I'm sure that a lot of women maybe fantasize about, but so many men seem to be closed off to the idea. So uh, to whoever texted that, hopefully that gave you a bit of insight into it. And I want you to tune in on Wednesday night because I will ask our BDSM experts uh, about their knowledge of any dungeons in Montreal. So Asa, more about you now. So you were dominatrix, then you got into the adult world. How did that happen, and how did you, you know, transition over time? I'm very curious because there's a sense that once you get into adult, there's so much pressure to do all the things. Like, what is that really like? How did you get into it, and what was your experience like?
0: So from the dungeon, um, I actually met a girl who was stripping. Um, and I, I think it, you know, I had done the dungeon thing for a year and I was, it was kind of, it was kind of becoming old news to me because I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily naturally so dominant. Like that's not what excites me the most. So I had learned a lot of things, but I was ready to move on. And then stripping just sounded like a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, you know, I grew up just idolizing strippers, so I did that for a few years, and then I went on a radio show, actually, called Bubba the Love Sponge. It used to be on Sirius Satellite, and I went on the show to promote the club, um, and I just like really hit it off with them. So I ended up being on the show for a year, and there I met Gina Lynn, who was, at the time, I mean, this was 10 years ago, she was, at the time, maybe like one of the top three porn stars, Um, and... And yeah, and I met her and I was like, you got to get me into porn. And she let me come shoot for her um, in a girl, girl, lesbian scene. Um, And she was she was very cool about it. She was like, you know, if you enjoy yourself, I'll pay you. We'll use the scene. If not, like, no worries. So basically, I had a very, very lucky introduction to porn. And obviously, I loved it. Um, a little while later, I shot my first boy-girl scene with her husband for her production company. And then before I knew it, she was hooking me up with her agency, and I flew out
2: to L.A., and
0: I didn't go back. So and that was it.
2: how does that work? Do you have an agency, like a model has an agent? You have agents mm-hmm. in adult as well? Yes, it, it's exactly like that. Um, so we don't really have managers
0: in porn, but we do have um, agents. And I would definitely recommend being, you know, with an agency if anyone is looking to get into the industry. Um, it, it's there are probably like six reputable agents in the industry, and and it's it's a good way to get in because you know it, it's really hard when you want to be in the adult entertainment world. It's really hard to just, like, Google, like, oh, how do I get into porn and not be taken advantage of? Like, there are a lot of really bad people out there looking to take advantage of, you know, vulnerable women who are sexual and, you know, horny (laughs) and trying to enter an industry that there is very little information on to the public, so I think being part of an agency is a way to kind of navigate your first few years in the industry. Um, so yeah, it's I I got with a reputable one and they flew me out to LA and um, I was offered a contract the next day. I I had a very lucky start in in the porn
2: world. And you say lucky start, but I'm sure through your experience as well, no matter how lucky you were, maybe or maybe I'm assuming things again and it's wrong, were you ever pressured to do anything? I mean, you had a contract the next day. I don't know if that's something that happens frequently. I imagine probably not because I imagine contracts are not easy to come by. Um but I'm just curious to know how pressured did you feel to to do things right away? and and to maybe engage in a way that you didn't think that you were going to do.
0: Um, You know, it was, I, well, first of all, it was a different time back then. And not that they were handing contracts out, but they were a lot more common than they are now. Nowadays to get in to the business and get a contract right away is like nearly impossible. It, it's just, it's unheard of. Um, but back then it wasn't like totally unheard of. Um, It's hard for me to say if I felt pressured because I was so eager and, you know, I was 23 at the time. So I was already at an age where, I mean, 23 is so young, but, you know, compared to 18, I had a better sense of myself. I was more capable of saying no in a room full of people. Um, I was a little bit more confident. So I'm really thankful that I was a little bit older um, you know, because I don't think at age eighteen I would have had the guts to say no when you know the entire set, maybe let's say fifteen twenty people on set want you to do one thing, and like you're not comfortable with it. it it's it's not an easy thing at eighteen, I imagine. Um, and, I so, guess. And again, I was really lucky. Like you know, I, I I don't know if you've seen that documentary, Hot Girls Wanted. Um,
1: I, I have.
0: It's about the amateur side of porn so like I guess you could call it pro-am but it's a, a lot of it is shot in Miami um, as opposed to LA where I was and it's it's definitely a very different world like um, you know it, that documentary actually like really opened up my eyes to like a lot of things and kind of a seedier side of the industry and it, it's, it's really sad I, I, I would definitely recommend to any woman looking to get into porn to go to LA first
2: speaking um, of documentary you mentioned it was hot mm-hmm. girls wanted yeah you mentioned there was a texter who texted in asking if you saw the documentary after porn ends by asia carrera and and if you could comment on it
0: yes i did see it um i saw both there's the first one and the sequel um you know i i kind of wish it's i i think I think the story that the mainstream wants to see is generally, like, a more tragic one when it comes to the porn industry. And I understand that. It's more interesting. It's more, you know, it touches your heart. I get it. Um, But I do wish they had mixed in a few more happy ending stories. because it, it really made it seem like, you know, once you do porn, you there there's no way you can see a happy ending or, you know, live a normal life afterwards. And yeah, porn changes a lot of things in your life. You know, I joke that porn ruined your life, so you better be ready for it. But like, I mean, what I really mean is that You know, you have this tattoo on your forehead for the rest of your life that says, I did porn. Like, no matter what job you try to get, no matter who you meet or who you try to have any kind of relationship with, they're always going to eventually know that you've done porn. With the Internet, it's impossible to hide. So, I mean, if you've done it in a way that you can be proud of and you're happy with, then great. And if not, I mean, that kind of
1: sucks. So we're
2: we're speaking with Asa Kira. She's an adult Mm -hmm. entertainment veteran. She's a performer and a director. Uh, She's also an author. We're going to get to know her a little bit better because, uh, Obviously, being an adult entertainment has affected her personal life she 's been married. she mentioned earlier how she 's pregnant and I wanted to find out um, how she is hoping to raise her child and, and what values she 's hoping to instill she 's been very very public about um, wanting to get not wanting to get pregnant than wanting to get pregnant so more conversation about the choices you make and as a as an adult entertainment uh, adult entertainer and Uh, We're going to finally get to the juicy questions and get more insight from her. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Straight talk that's all inclusive. Passion with Dr. Laurie. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Sitting in tonight is Paris Mansouri.
2: Welcome back to the program. My name is Paris. Dr. Lori's on vacation for the next two weeks, and I get the privilege of keeping her seat warm. The panels are on as usual. The shows are going to go on as usual. Tomorrow night, we're going to have Trouble Tuesday. Amanda Luterman is going to be in to answer your questions. Tonight, we are getting insight from an adult industry expert. Her name is Asa Akira. She's a performer, a director, an author, a podcaster, a spokesperson. You can connect with her on Twitter at Asa. Akira on Instagram at asshole. Uh Her podcast is PornHubPodcast.com dot com, and um, I have to say, I have a list of questions I need to get through. And Asa, we're getting texts, and people want to ask you questions. Cool. <laughs> so <laughs> there are uh, somebody's asking. There are some porn actresses that have gone into the main- mainstream movies. Has your guest done that? Um,
0: the only time I've ever been in mainstream movies is like. Like, as a a cameo, I guess, as myself. I'm not known as the best actress, like, even within porn. (laughs) So you can imagine my acting skills, like, compared to, like, actual actresses. But, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, where we get that text, because I kind of resent when people... Assume that like I um consider myself you know an actress or want to be an actress, or that my ultimate goal is to like be seen in like the mainstream light, um because you know i got in I got into porn because I love sex, and I like to make porn movies, um n- not because I love acting, so i if something falls into my lap, great, but that that's like certainly not my goal.
2: We have questions that are, uh, leading into marriage, open marriage. Somebody says, my question is, is it more difficult to remain, uh, open to marriage after indulgence in porn? And that's interesting because you've been married. And been you are married. married. I am <laughs> married. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've, um, I'm on my third marriage and they say third time's the charm. Um, but yeah, this is, um, it's, it's interesting. I, I've been in both, you know, relationships within porn and relationships without outside of porn um, with, you know, non porn people, which is what I'm doing now. And, you know, they they both. I wouldn't say like one's necessarily easier than the other just based on that, Um they they definitely like both have like a, like different issues i guess you could say you know within the industry it's harder because you know like the people you're working with and having sex with every day are you know his friends and people they see all the time so that can be hard and then i i, I don't know i wouldn't like not that the question was to put one you know, which, name which one's easier, but I get asked that a lot.
2: So, I know that in your experiences and that uh, in your book, you'd mentioned uh, not wanting to become a mom and now mm-hmm. you're, you're pregnant and you're ready for it. And I'm curious to know, uh, you know, how do you plan on telling your child about what you do?
0: You know, that's something I definitely think about all the time. Luckily I'm, in a relationship with a man who is the baby daddy, um, but he's my husband, and he's very very sex positive and he's you know very much a feminist and he he truly truly believes that you know there's nothing shameful about doing porn or being a sexual woman or sexually liberated, so my hope is that you know we raise this child. <laughs> in a very sex positive, um, household where, you know, I, I grew up personally in a household where sex was kind of shameful and, you know, even masturbation was kind of frowned upon. And I, I always grew up with this sense that like my natural feelings were very bad. Um, and I, I don't want to raise him like that. I want to raise him, you know, Believing that sex is a positive thing, and you know it's a beautiful thing, and you know there's nothing shameful about what I've done, and you know while the outside world, there are still a lot of people that don't understand my profession or my desire to do it. You know um, that's okay because I'm okay with it. Um, So so that's the hope
2: we're speaking with adult entertainment performer and director asa akira so on that note obviously you consider yourself a feminist what do you say to people who question your empowerment by saying that what you actually do degrades women
0: you know i think in every group i think it's the extremists that are always like the most damaging to the movement <laughs> um and I, I i absolutely think that about feminists i think First of all, if you're not a feminist in this day and age, like you're just a horrible person. You know, I mean, I, I believe in feminism and the real root of the word, which is, you know, equality for men and women. And that's it. Um, I don't think we think we're better than men. I don't think, you know, I don't believe that women deserve better treatment, anything like that. I think we should be treated equally to men. And that includes in the sex. you know um i said this earlier but like even a man you know a man who sleeps with a lot of women is considered kind of you know cool and he's the man and whatever and a woman who sleeps with a lot of men we assume she's damaged so um i think if if, i i would say to the anti-sex anti-porn feminist like does she believe that about a man? um Does she believe that you know men who do porn are doing something bad and are they damaged and you know it's it's likely she doesn't think that
2: and then when and you're talking we, mm-hmm. when you're talking specifically about the word degrading or somebody's being mm-hmm. degraded or you do an act that's degrading, how do you internalize that because in speaking with you, I feel like you're empowered by your actions.
0: I am empowered by it. Um, you know, I'm in control of my sexuality. I'm doing exactly what I want, despite what society might say about me. And to me, that's the most empowering thing of all. And, you know, I think degrading is a weird word because we assign it to certain acts and we assign it to things like doing porn or doing sex work or Whatever. And I think even like to say something is degrading, like if if the person doing it doesn't feel degraded, then it's not degrading. And I certainly don't think I'm degrading myself by doing porn. And I think if anything, it's the opposite. I would be degrading myself if I didn't do it. Um, Anytime you do something you don't want to do, you're it's degrading and.
2: And speaking of...
0: If I were an accountant, it would be degrading to me.
2: Speaking of things you don't want to do, I want to find out um, if if performers are coerced into doing scenes, how f- consent factors in, um, if women are becoming porn stars out of desperation. And I want to find out if, if Asa's actually done a scene that she didn't want to do or that she later regretted. We're speaking with Asa Akira. She's an adult entertainment performer, director. She's a veteran of the industry, uh, been in it for over 10 years. She's now a spokesperson for Pornhub. She's an author. There's still a lot to talk about in very very little time so we're going to try to squeeze it all in
1: it's sex out loud and you're welcome to listen in passion on cjad 800 sitting in tonight is paris man's
2: Welcome back to the program. We have been so lucky to have Asa Akira spent the past hour with us to shed light on the adult entertainment industry and working as an adult performer. You can connect with her at Asa Akira on Twitter, at Asa Hole on Instagram, and she has a podcast, Pornhubpodcast.com. Asa, uh, so we have questions coming in about uh, being a performer, so let's get right into it. Have you ever done a scene that you didn't want to do?
0: You know, I feel very lucky to be able to say that no, I haven't. I think one thing that came from being a little bit older and getting into the industry was, you know, I my goal was I, I never wanted to do anything that didn't make me feel sexy. So, of course, I've been offered scenes and movies, you know, that I turned down that, you know, I didn't want to do. But I, I feel so lucky that I had the strength to say no. Um and I think a lot of that also comes from, you know, I, I didn't, money was not my sole objective when getting into porn. Obviously, I love that I was able to make a career out of it. You know, I feel really lucky. But I, I always say, like, if you wouldn't do porn for a minimum wage or a regular paying job, like, it's not the right job for you. Okay, so how um, much money
2: can people hmm. expect to make? And can anyone do it?
0: Um... I think for the women it's a much easier job Um, it's I don't want to say anyone can do it um, but like ability wise yes women I would say are all built to do it. Um, men, not so much. It's a much more difficult job for the men. You have to be able to get hard on command. You have to be able to orgasm on command. Um, the days are much, much, uh, more difficult for the man, you know, no matter what's going on emotionally for you, you you just have to be able to perform. Whereas the woman, it's a little bit easier to hide when we're not having a great day. Um, Yeah, Yeah. so how much can you expect to make? I mean, I would say it really, really varies. For a brand new um, talent coming in for a woman, um, I would say, you know, like no fan base, no name. You can probably expect to make between $800 and $1,200 per vaginal scene, boy-girl vaginal scene. Um, And, of course, there's more, the more, you know... Things that are on your menu. I don't know, like, what terms we're allowed to use on here, but, um.
1: Anal so, scenes so, yeah, are, are yeah. more, okay. For anal
0: scenes you can make more. And then, you know, there's double penetration and then gang bang. Um, and then, you know, the more people you include, the more money you can make. But But then when does,
2: how does consent, a good starting point, how does consent factor in, you know, and and how does, you know, are you coerced into doing things? I mean, we're talking about a scene that is a gangbang, like is an adult performer going on set? Do they know what they're getting into or do they just find out what they're doing the moment they arrive on set?
0: No, we absolutely know what we are going to be doing. Um, as soon as we get booked for a scene, we get all the info, which is what kind of scene it is, who we're working with. Um, obviously, everyone's tested, and I would. How say frequently the are the you tested? Every two weeks, every fourteen days, and it actually ends up being a little bit less because you need to have a um, fourteen-day test in order to work. And what are you tested for? Uh, we are tested for gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV. Uh, I don't it's to be perfectly honest it's been a while since I shot. Um I think they added syphilis to the list. Um it, it it's a full panel blood test and we do the um oh man I I'm completely drawing a blank right now. But, but I th- do the test the HIV test um that tests for the actual virus itself not the antibodies. Okay. Um so it's a much faster um test. And it, it sh- the virus itself shows up a lot quicker than the antibodies, which could take up to six months to develop. Okay, And I would say the coercion comes more from like, again, that's like your motive, right, in porn. Um, if you're in it for the money, you're going to be coerced into doing things a lot easier because you want that money. Um, whereas if you're thinking career longevity, um, you know, if you're in it for empowerment or your own sense of you know whatever I, I think it's a lot easier to keep focused on like what you really want
2: okay now in terms of porn sex i mean obviously you've you are in a long-term relationship right now you're married porn sex is different From Mm -hmm. home sex. And a lot of people don't understand how you can be married and have sex with other people. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of people who have quote unquote work husbands or work wives, and they have this entire emotional attachment with someone during the day and have a Mm -hmm. major connection. And it sometimes continues via email or whatever it is because it's work. Whereas you, when you were performing, it was more like you go on set, you have intercourse with a person, you know, and you leave. Is that yeah, I think how is in a it lot different? Of ways.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think that's a lot less threatening than like an actual work wife or work husband at a normal job. Just because I think, you know, every everyone goes about their porn career differently. Personally, for me, like when I did sex scenes, like it was an emotional thing. I did feel a connection and I was feeling really intimate with, you know, whoever my scene partner was for that day. And I would try to like force a chemistry almost um, just because I think it's the most fun that way and you get the best scenes that way. But I also think that's far less threatening than like an actual emotional connection with someone that goes on for years and years and years that you see at the office every day. Because at porn, no matter how intense your connection is, like a scene is 30 minutes long and you're going to go home after that and they have their lives and you have yours and you're probably not even going to speak again until you see them on another set. Um, So it's actually like, It's weirdly more intimate, but also far less intimate, if that makes sense. Um, So personally, I'm like way less threatened by that. And, you know, I I think whenever you're in a porn relationship, you know, however you define monogamy or, you know, faithfulness or whatever, like you are you do have to commit to a certain kind of an open relationship, I guess. Um, Even if you're not sleeping with people outside of work, like you're still in like a certain type of an open relationship um,
2: and you have to both be okay with that. Um, It seems like regardless of the kind of relationship you're in, communication, whether you're an adult or not, Asa, I can't believe it. We didn't even get to everything I, I hope that we'll be able to have you go on again to get of into course. it i wanted to talk I'm, about your I'm books I'm so <laughs> <laughs> you have two books under your name insatiable porn a love story and then dirty 30 where can people find that
0: um like
2: any your books you can buy books. <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah awesome I mean, so amazon, amazon or, or, or bookstore
0: mobile, whatever
2: yeah wonderful and if anyone wants to connect with you is t- our twitter and instagram the best way the best ways
0: yeah, um, definitely. Um, I also have Snapchat. My username is Asahol Akira. And then, yeah, pretty much. And then just like my podcast, which is com.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, for the insight, and for openly sharing your story with us. We're very lucky you for you it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Asa Akira, she is an adult entertainment veteran. She is a director, an author, a performer. Again, if you want to connect with her, it's at Asa Kira on Twitter, at Whole on Instagram, PornHubPodcast.com. And that's it for me tonight, guys. Dr. Lori, as I mentioned, is away. She is on vacation for two weeks. I'm going to be filling in for her. Tomorrow night is Trouble Tuesday, as always. Uh, but we're going to have Amanda Luderman in studio to answer any and all of your sex love and relationship questions so get them in you can even start texting them in tonight if you want and i'll make sure to get it tomorrow night so i want to thank you all for tuning in i want to first of all thank asa for joining us for the hour thank you if you texted and you know shared your question to our technical producer brian kalasar thank you for getting the show to air you've been listening to passion You can connect with me at Paris Mansouri on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll speak to you again tomorrow night. Stay tuned for the news. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to fill your life with passion.